Neutrality, and I am your host this evening. I am Mix Puxaplenty, aka Kia, and uh, I am a um, sex educator in the Seattle area, of course, and I uh, specialize in um, BDSM and kink um, with a even special interest in uh, femdom and polyamory. And today I have someone that I have wanted to have on our, our podcast since we first got started. Um, they are the director and founder of the Atlanta Institute of Tantra and Divine Sexuality. I want us to welcome the goddess Amina today. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am so glad that you're here with us. I, um, you and I actually, we met uh, a few mm-hmm. years ago um, through an event that uh, that happens up here in Seattle that is, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's sex positive. It's, you know, it's burlesque. We met at Burley Con. Um, yes. And I did not know at the time that you were the the founder and director of a, of a Tantra school. Um, did not know that. And so um, shortly after we met, I started seeing you post about it because we became friends on the Facebook. And I was just like, ooh, this is exciting and fun. So it's been been really interesting to um, follow, follow you and follow the school online. And um, this August, something that you posted really like hit my brain hard and really resonated really hard was um, you were talking about embodiment. And this became kind of like my, and has really become kind of my driving force of um, exploring further depths of my, my sexuality and how I relate to feeling um, just whole as a person. And so I just wanted to have the opportunity to Thank you for that. And also, um, and also, of course, interview you and, and talk to you about a bunch of other stuff. But yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, before we go any further, mm-hmm. is that noise loud to you in the background? I can't hear it. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I have a neighbor that's cutting grass. I could close the windows, but I wasn't sure. So, okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. So one of the reasons I think the first Burley Con that I went to I was still working in corporate. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my Tantra stuff was, um, it wasn't hidden, but it was it was hidden in plain sight. Um, the second, by the time I had gone to the second Burley Con, though, I was leaving corporate or I had just, I think I was leaving, like I had three more weeks left in corporate. And I was working for Burley Con at that point, part-time. And, um, and was telling the world, because I was like, listen, this, I'm leaving corporate and I'm never ever coming back. So here's what it is. This is what I've been doing. Um, please come and learn more about me here. Speak to my students and my clients. They'll tell you how great I am. And bam. And that's what it, <laughs> there was a transition point right around when I met you. So, so there is that. Um, and, and I think, you know, Burley kind of is a very sex positive um, inherent. Like it's just by default because it's body positive and, and um, and while the body isn't inherently sexual, there there is a sexual um, element of it, and and the senses are are played with. So I really I'm a burlesque fan. I've never had you know been in a burlesque performance. I am an aficionado of the titty tassel. Right. <laughs> I, I 
burlesque is uh, it's it tends to be very fairly bo- fairly body positive, um, and yeah. it does fairly. I say fairly, and it uh, there's something that they say in burlesque is that uh, burlesque is for everybody, and so every and body are separated as opposed to mm-hmm. one word, um, and. It's like I believe that as a core value, um, but sometimes I don't see that reflected um, in what is being cast and, and put out there into the world. But it it does have this inherent sensuality, and even when it's being funny and ridiculous and over the top, I think humor is very sexy. And so sometimes some of my most favorite acts are the funny ones, and mm. I think that's sexy and, and fun, and so I like humor. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover there, I think, um, or a lot of similarities, I should say, in the way that the body positivity is in Tantra and in burlesque, um, because black and brown bodies are invisible in Tantra. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some spaces that you see us, but as a collective, um, and and speaking specifically to Neo-Tantra here in the West, uh, it's just very, very white. And even though it's like, no, we are for everybody. You're like, well, where is everybody? Because I only see one kind of everybody and I don't see myself reflected in this. So, um, which is why I launched my own, uh, my own center, actually. So what is Tantra? Tantra. Oh, that is a question that we can spend the rest of the day on. Um, but for... For the sake of this podcast and and your listeners' ears, um, I will give you the short and sweet version. Tantra is uh, is a is an ancient practice um, that is rooted in um, Hinduism and Buddhism. So um, you have one concept that kind of split into a couple different ways, uh, and what we see here in the West. Most people are speaking about Tantra here. Most people talking about Tantra as it relates to sex, especially here, is you're hearing about Neo-Tantra, which is a very specific, um, you know, the the best summation of it is that some free-loving people in the 60s, so you can already imagine what that demographic looked like, um, got a hold of of some information and um, about positive sex and freedom through sexual expression. And it was in alignment with their values. And so they began to study and play and invite gurus over and, and learn um, and learn in these and about Tantra and establish an understanding, a collective understanding that has now become widely understood, misunderstood in, in America and in Europe um, as to what what it is. And there it's rooted in the truth. It's rooted in Tantra tradition. It's just like, you know, it's like going to church and being like, I'm, I, I don't take any other stuff out the Bible, but I think that Deuteronomy is a cool chapter. So we're going to focus on that. And so, um, so essentially a lot of Tantra is that. Uh, it is a spiritual practice. It is not a religion. It is a, um, although for the sake of the West, because we don't recognize spiritual practices outside of religion is often viewed as a religion mm-hmm. in the, in the law. Um, there is a, 
a lot of freedom in Tantra. The word um, Tantra comes from um, sans, uh, Sanskrit uh, origin. So the word is about weaving and about tools for, for, for weaving together um, um, change and revolution, right? Uh, it's a, it's the word also um, has root in uh, the word of liberation. So there's all of this goodness in just the word and just understanding the word Tantra or Tantra. And people always ask, well, what should I say? Should I say Tantra or Tantra? It would say either. I'm from the Midwest. So I tend to say Tantra a lot because we like to, eh. mm-hmm. um, but it, either way, we're mispronouncing it because, um, you know, when you listen to someone who speaks Sanskrit, they say tantra or something that sounds a little bit more. I'm, I'm not a Sanskrit speaker, mm-hmm. so I'm still going to mess that up. Um, so at that point, I'm just like, listen, say it so that you know what you're saying, so that your body recognizes that vibration and and that that happens for you. Uh, but yeah, so it's a, it's a beautiful practice, though. And I for me, my I'm a sex worker. My, I've been a sex worker for, for a very long time. Um, I'm a sex coach. I'm a sex trainer. I help people heal through sexuality. I use ancient traditions to um, to bring forth that healing. And my favorite tradition to use it in that is rooted in Tantra, from breath, from mindfulness, from um, embodiment, from... Um, the idea of understanding the soma and dropping into the body, that's all, all a part of Tantra tradition, all a part of, of Tantra, uh, of Vajrayana Tantra Buddhism. And so I use that to have better sex. I use that to eat better. I use that to live in harmony with the earth better. I use that as a lived experience. People don't want to hear about my gardening. <laughs> People don't want to hear about, you know, they, they want to know about the fucking. So mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I teach from that and I think, uh, ultimately what ends up happening, which I think is my my favorite thing is that people, as they start to learn it and practice it and they start to embody and realize how powerful they are in their own bodies, they have a greater access to better orgasms. They have a greater access to stronger, more fulfilling relationships. They have a greater access to understanding their own desire and their own um, passion and, and that we can point to Tantra and say, that was what led you to it. I so love I love yeah, it. That's Tantra. I love it. I love it. I love it. I feel like, um, I mean, I know as, as a person of color, um, we talk about appropriation a lot and this definitely has a, definitely from what I've looked at when I've, looked at like taking yoga years and years ago and things like that. There's a lot of white folks interpreting this and marketing these kinds of things and, and making, making money off of black and brown practices and spirituality and then selling, selling back to us stuff that originally belonged to us. In our people. That they said we couldn't have. That we couldn't have. Right. Which that's is an, that's an important part of appropriation. Yeah. Is that that they take away not only did they begin selling it, they the selling happened after they told us we couldn't do it. To sell me a melting pot and then to take the parts that I brought into the melting pot, filter them out and sell them to somebody else as some new fix-all is is insane. Um so yes, and there is a great deal of appropriation. Uh 
in in yoga and yoga is a part of tantra mm-hmm. right so um so i mean i know i went to yeah, did my yoga teacher training at a very corporate institution at um core power yoga when i was in berkeley and i well i loved it my my teacher um was uh has her phd in sanskrit from berkeley so she was very knowledgeable it still was within that system of this is um this is what we're packaging up to sell to you. Uh, and, and this is a great workout, right? It's the same thing. It's like you mm-hmm. go to the gym and like, here's some yoga. We're going to do a great workout. And here's some Buddhism. You're going to have a great orgasm. So I try not to, um, I try not to in my practice uh, completely separate any of it first and foremost. Um, I also, I'm always very conscious of the fact that I'm being compensated for my time and study and practice and not, um, you know, and because of that, well, I do, I do think that what, what I teach is worth $40,000. I'm not charging you for that. It's not mine um, to do so. And and as a black person, um, I'm very conscious of how I move and also of a, of a little, leeway also about the way that I move because of it being uh, the descendant of um, enslaved people here in the West, that a lot of the traditions that I know were mine um, in my body have been taken. And Tantra has moved all throughout the world in various other paths. So you see it showing up in all parts of the world. The chakra system is not something that's unique to Tantra or unique to India Ayurvedic systems because you see it in South and Central America. They just, it's not called the chakras there, but it's that understanding of the, the energy systems. And so a great part of me has navigated this emotion around, well, this is spirit. And can spirit be held by one community um, and and only be theirs. And it is that what the ancestors of, of that, that is that what their ancestors wanted when they were um when they found something and found out something to be true. And I believe Tantra to be a true practice. And uh, and I don't think I know a quarter of what is available in the study of Tantra um, because I know that it was an oral tradition. I do get bothered when I see um, white teachers who have studied and gone to India and read all the books and learned Sanskrit and say, well, you know, this is not, there, there is no other way except for this way. This is what I learned because one of the ways in which the ancestors did protect the tradition was to not write it down. I think they knew that the colonizer was coming. And so it was an oral tradition and it isn't written down. And so without studying under someone whose grandmother and great mother, and was also often kept with the women. So without sitting underneath them, the divine feminine lineage, you wouldn't have access to it anyway. Um, and so it's, it's, I see a lot of appropriation from uh, whiteness and from maleness, because I believe that it's a heart tradition, a heart-centered healing practice, a heart-centered study, which means to me, in my understanding and my embodied knowledge, that it's a study and practice for the divine feminine, for Shakti, not Shiva. Um, however, mm-hmm. 
Um, with all that being said, I'm I, I'm cautious of how I move, and I I quickly step to the side when I have access to someone who has direct lineage to teach um, to make sure that that's always the case, and I don't uh, I don't allow um, white teachers to teach at the institute. I think that is more than fair. You said two things that really struck out to me, and one of them was uh, I talk. I talk about, um, you talked about oral tradition, right? That like, that a lot of this knowledge was shared, you know, through storytelling and through, through the word. And I think that as, as an artist, that is what I think about all the time as a social justice person. I think Mm -hmm. about that all the time too, is that this, our ancestors before they could write and even after they could write, we're still, using oral history as a way to pass down our stories, our culture, our beliefs, our spirituality, all of these things so that we could carry them with us always because they can't be destroyed if they're in our heads. And they can't be manipulated. My (laughs) ex-husband, my first, my my second husband, sorry, (laughs) I go through them. My second (laughs) husband said history was written by the victors. He used to always say that. And one of the things that um, we've been acutely reminded of in Mm -hmm. this current moment is that our newspapers right now will be the history books Mm -hmm. of the future. And we know right now that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. We know right now that they're lying. And so to me, I I don't trust a lot of books, um, especially any books that have that have been that weren't burned. You know what I mean? Like we we, these are eras that came from people burning books that didn't align with their reality. So you had to have an oral tradition, because if I'm the oppressor and I'm coming in and I'm telling you that sex is not something that we want widely communicated it's going to be real easy for me to destroy those books, ain't it? Yeah. It's going to be real easy for me to come through and pick. If I want to say that these people are violent or these people are murderers, all I got to do is write about it. Mm-hmm. And in 200 years, that's the facts. That's how we receive it. Yeah. And we know how we we see it. Go pick up the New York watching, Times. Watching we it happen watching, in real time. We're living it right yeah. now. So to, it will be foolish. It will be absolutely foolish for us to assume that all of the knowledge that we can get on Tantra or on any sacred practice is we have to go find it in a book. That's very Anglo of us and we need to abandon that cart. Yeah. Agreed. It's it's something that I, I think about when, especially right now when folks are struggling for, um, struggling for creativity, struggle, struggling to find a place to create from because, you know, world's on fire, right? Um, yeah. And I tell folks, I'm like, what is the story that you want to tell? What is the story that you feel like needs to be told and start from there? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, cause that is probably your truth in there. Um, I know it's helped me. Um, and it's, I mean, it's part of the reason why this podcast got started is because there was just, there's just, there's a truth that's not being, I feel like every time we get close I feel like we just fall completely down backwards down the stairs. I'm just like, God damn it. We were so close this time. So close. And this other thing that you said that um, really struck me when you said it, I actually felt it like deep, deep in my stomach was the 
I don't think that I have ever heard about any traditions, sexual traditions or sexuality specifically from Africa, specifically about our people. And there is Coreza. Okay. Um, it's a Coreza. Am I mixing it up? Hold on. Um, it's out of, there's actually a documentary about it right now that just came out. Ooh. Yeah, it's out of the central, I want to say the Central Republic of Congo, but I could be wrong, somewhere in South Central Africa. And um, it is about teaching the, about the waters, about Amrita in Sanskrit, um, the uh, the ejaculation, female ejaculation. Ooh. And the ritual of training men to pursue the water, to find the water in the woman. Um, right. <laughs> it's my face. Sorry, you guys can't yeah. see my face, but my face was intrigued and into it. We had a watch party um, last month or two months ago on my Patreon for the for the documentary. And I, I think I'm mixing up an Italian method, which I think is Carissa. It's a different... I'm going to find it and I'm going to, we're going to mm-hmm. put it in your show notes. Absolutely. But, but, but there are other traditions and the more that we, the thing about Africa is that any sign of intelligence that comes out of it is really quieted because it doesn't fall in line with the narrative of look at this poor country. They're so poor. Don't see us. Don't watch us while we rob them blind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They can't, they can't appear very, very smart and it can't appear very advanced. They can't appear like anything but barbarians in order for that narrative to get pushed forward, first and foremost. Um, also in our Orisha, in the Orisha traditions, uh, if you follow an African traditional religion, when you look at the deities, there are so many conversations around sexuality and gender. There are, um, um, uh, at the very least, non-binary, but mm-hmm. transgender um Orisha, Orisha whose gender actually changes halfway through their existence or their story. Um, so there's all this conversation that was there. And I think that, um, that you know, colonization, colonization is a hell of a drug. And, and what's happened is, um, you know, the, the demonization of the woman. If you go to the communities that are still, that are still matriarchal, mm-hmm. um, or communities where women are still running running the show, you probably will find your truth spoken there. And that's really what we have to explore. And that's that's what's so on my next my next agenda. So it's to yeah. really get down deep into that. So I feel like sexuality, at least here in the States, when it comes to black folks, has been it's all it's all over the place and it's it's i mean and it's it's hypersexed or it's completely sex repulsed and like mm-hmm. devoid of um that i i spent a lot i mean i spent a lot of time in in kinky and bdsm circles and the the fetishization of of black folks is very high but especially around black men, we talk about uh, like the bull fantasies and uh, the hot wife things and the, the idea of where does the empowerment come from if you're a tool? 
um, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just kind of looking at that or the hyper the hypersexualization of of black femmes um, mm-hmm. that even in some white male circles, like sleeping with a black woman is still like this weird bucket list thing that they have, um, you know, okay to sleep with, not okay to take home to your mom. It's like, I don't care either way, mm-hmm. you know, but it's very... Or they take you home to your mom because of the discord, because of their mommy issues. So yeah. I can say that because a lot of women don't don't realize that you, you now you're a tool, but in a different way. Like mm-hmm. you and I I know personally, like I've been that tool. Like, oh, here I am at the, you know, um up at family's estate. And mm-hmm. turns out you're the black sheep of the family that they on the verge of cutting off from their millions. And this is how you this is how you're acting out. I see, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, that's that custard's last stand right here. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're the musket. So. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's very fascinating to me that I feel like Black folks, we have just, we have been robbed of of, of sexual power. Mm-hmm. And then we do start to assert sexual, assert our sexual power, Um we are we were then labeled and put into these boxes. Well, you can be powerful, but you can be powerful in this box where, you know, you can sleep with my wife when I say you can. Right. Um, and with black women, you can, you can be powerful, um, but it needs to be under these particular conditions. And even then, like you're, you still won't be respected um, at all, but, at all. but you can still be powerful but you you won't be respected. You just right. when you, I mean, we've we talked about this on our, our one of our earlier podcasts when um, Cardi B and and Meg The Stallion's "What Ass Pussy" came out, and just just kind of the collective clutching of pearls from everyone and the collective amnesia, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like I'm from the Luke Skywalker era, so if y'all don't stop, I just tuned all of that shit out. <laughs> I had one conversation. I was like, "Goodbye." And then we were twerking on cars and bikinis in 1994 talking about pop that pussy mama. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to hear any of this. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it's what it was, you know, it's different now. It's the language is different now. It's the same language. Yeah. Nothing has changed. I have an entire playlist that I will share with you if you want to share your yeah. show notes. Yeah. And it's called Whole Bluesin' or Home and Blues I made. Mm-hmm. And it's all the nastiest songs I could find from the Roaring Twenties. There's lots of them. There's lots of them. Lots We've been talking them. about popping wet ass pussy since the dawn of time. Get over it, people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about your children and what their sensitive ears might hear. This is a great opportunity for you to talk about the skeins glands and how mm-hmm. the pussy lubricates. And yeah. if your child doesn't know that yet, then you've been fucking up. Mom and dad, don't look at me to raise your children. Anyway, don't yeah, get me nope. started. <laughs> it's, it's true though, right? It's the idea of, well, my kids might hear it. Well, if you don't, this is, if this is something that you don't want your kids to hear, then it is your job to parent. It is yeah. your job to be like, you know what? I just don't think we're going to be listening to music today if that's what you're doing, right? Whatever you're going to do. But we this, have a president that said he was grabbing folks by the pussy. So are you turning off all the channels? All the channels. Or are you educating your child? Because that yeah. will be helpful. Absolutely. I, instead of looking at this as learning opportunities, 
so that folks know what what bodies can do. Just the fact that people right. were surprised that pussies can get that wet. Not all of them, but there are, you know, pussies can get really wet and that people yeah. are just like, I can't believe that. I'm just like, well, you haven't met mine, so I don't know what to tell you. And the uh, men, boy, the men were so telling. Mm-hmm. They told the 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 cis the cis heads are not okay. Yeah, I've been they, with lots of I've been with lots of women, lots of vagina havers, and it's never been that way. I'm like, I'm like, I've been with more pussy than y'all. I guarantee, because eighty percent of my clients are pussy are, are pussies are women. <laughs> <laughs> People with pussies. I not just women, but people with pussies. And um, I hear macaroni in a pot often. So I don't know yeah. what your problem is, sir, but maybe you need to pull it together. Right? Pull it together. It's just pull fascinating. It fascinating. Folks telling on themselves and not even listening to tell on themselves. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about um, sex therapists, sexologists, sex coaching. I... Uh, there is this idea that it's synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts and feelings on that? I, I ruffle a little bit of feathers here. Mm-hmm. I work with therapists um, and I work with a psychologist who in my first job as a sex worker was actually with under a psychiatrist, under Dr. Dean Dow. I worked as a sexual surrogate um, when I was 19. And so I have a bit of a, a varied opinion of it. And my opinion is not very well received oftentimes mm-hmm. in the West by therapists. But so I'm, I'm putting that disclaimer out. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because the term sex worker um, requires to me a bit of unity. And uh, we can, it, to me, it's a, it goes, it's the gentrification of sexuality is what's happening right now. Right now, I know more sex therapists than I, I see more sex therapists um, than I ever saw before. Folks who were terrified to say the word sex, but have been therapists and clinicians for years, and now all of a sudden would like to be recognized as a sex therapist. And outside the state of Florida, at this current moment, there is no state regulation for sex therapists. So all of folks could have put any therapist, psychotherapist, psychiatrist, and if I'm wrong, someone feel free to Mm -hmm. connect me and let me know that there's been another state added. We did just have an election. I'm I'm, I'm tuned completely out. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Uh, you, everyone could have said sex as their special as their specialty a long time ago. That wasn't what was happening. There was fear around sex, so I'm not even sure if some of these therapists have even worked through their own fear of and shame around sex while they're moving into the realm of sex therapists. I work with family therapists because my work, I, I understand scope of work, and so I stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. And but I won't work with clients who have um, trauma issues that are not also working with a therapist. We have to work together. So I have a handful of therapists that I know and trust that are friends of mine um, or that have been referred to me from people that I know and have spent time with. And that's important to me because I have my own code of ethics that I have crafted and I share with the therapist and I need them to understand that the work that I do, you know, it, it, it cannot exist in a space of shame. So if you you have you, there are sex therapists that are sex therapists based on Christian morality. They're not going to work for me. My clients do not come to me because they're trying to figure out how to be sexual in the realm of Jesus's eyes. I'm, I can't help with that. That's beyond my scope of work. I care no fucks about 
church or, or um, you know, I, I understand Christ consciousness and I respect it, but I'm not bound by any books of, of religion. And, and a lot of, a lot of sex therapists out here are, uh, I get calls from folks that are trying to get their couples to spice things up while they're in church. And I'm, I'm, I don't spice things up. That's not my work. I can refer out for that. I'm not, I'm not the spicer of things. I am the grounder of things. I help you get grounded in the spiritual practice, grounded into your body. Um, and so that you know that you can say yes to yourself and therefore can offer enthusiastic consent to someone else. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. That's the work that I do. And I do a lot of work around reestablishing connection with the body. So I can touch my clients. Now, here's the kicker is that I have clients in other countries and their therapists can touch them too. We have puritanical laws here in the U.S. and oftentimes sex therapists uh, and psychotherapists, psychiatrists, because they are used to practicing under that law, forget that one, America is a tyrant (laughs) And these tyrannical, puritanical laws are not necessarily designed to benefit the client, but to prevent um, uh, or to prevent a lawsuit to keep you able to run your business in a litigious country. So we have to understand that first and foremost. Um, With that being said, uh, there is in the West, I mean, in America, sorry, not in the West, but there is in America a very distinct difference between a sex coach, which is an unregulated profession as of now Mm -hmm. um, that probably will change because they are angry that we're coaches. They don't like it. And I say they as a collective number of, in the same way that massage therapists um, or that physical therapists were upset about people doing massage. You know, Mm -hmm. I have my, I completed my um, massage therapy program in 2000, uh, 2013, I think, or 2014, whatever, one of those months, one of those years. and I just looked at my transcripts the other day. It was 2014. I'm sorry, 2004. Okay. Lord, it, this mm-hmm. life is going by fast. Yeah. 2004, I completed my massage therapy program. And in 2004, there were like 14 or 15 states that did not require a licensure because it was brand new to get a license for massage. That wasn't something that was, you could, there was the National Association, but it wasn't recognized by a lot of states, much like ASECT, mm-hmm. which I find to be, largely problematic is also doing the same thing that massage therapy did. Um, And I understand the reasoning. I understand the rationale behind it because reason and this rationale mind is a very masculine energy Mm -hmm. and, and it's not a protective one. Right. So Mm -hmm. it didn't, it didn't make it safer. It monetized it for the government as regulations do. And I think associations do a better job than than government in in maintaining um, ethics and things like that. And so when you get these large lobbying groups like ASECT or the AMBP, um, American Massage and Bodywork Professionals Organization, that they are able to actually contribute to lawmakers. And those lawmakers will always, always not be looking out for the best interests of the human that's at the end of the treatment. I have a problem with that. So, yeah. um, so I recognize that it, sex coaching is, is different. Um, and in fact, when I started my sex coaching practice, there weren't, I, I, I saw a couple people here and there that said they were sex coaches, but it was 
it was un, it was unheard of. Like I just, you know, now you go, you put on sex coach and there's a million of them in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Half of Instagram are sex coaches. And I'm 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 here for it, you know, because at the end of the day, I was also uh, an athletic trainer and coach. I co- was a USATF a track and field coach for for years and um, everybody didn't come to me. Somebody that needed to learn how to run um, hurdles, they should come to me. But someone who needed to learn how to run the 400 should never come to me. And they're, they're, similarly, when it comes to sex and sexuality, we are going to have such variance that, that, that how do you regulate this? It's hard to regulate it. because you're, you're going to ruin it. Yeah, because when you start getting into the regulation, then it's like, this is what constitutes... Yeah, start creating all the boxes, and then how do Someone we? Has, how yeah. do you? How do you? So then it be, does become monetization, right? How do how do we charge folks to? How do we show that people did did the necessary training to do this? Right. How do we? And and you have to then define who who says what sex is. Yeah, and that's at the root of it. How do we define sex? Well, we all and, know that sex is going to be defined as penetrative. Genital centered, genital centered, and and that that's and that's that. And I've and had this conversation that. all the time. Um, yeah. I used I used to run this party um, at the Center for Sex Positive Culture here in Seattle. Party was called um, OMG SX. It was like music based and sex based party. And um, there was a giant argument because when the party used to belong to someone else. Uh, it wasn't very, it wasn't frequently attended. And so folks who were really into rope would come and set up rope and do suspensions everywhere. So there was no place for folks to be, um, you know, if you wanted to have, if you wanted to kind of have these more intimate scenes, there was just people swinging from ropes everywhere. Mm. And so I, I ended up having this, this, this stance of like, no rope is allowed. And someone was like, Oh, so are you defining sex? And I'm like, I'm not defining sex. I'm telling you right now that you swinging from a rope may give you a sexual thrill, but that's not exactly the type of sexual. That's not the type of sex I want at this party. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and that was a really difficult conversation for folks to hear. And I was just, I heard once. I just looked at this guy, and I'm like, if you're gonna spin this girl around. And I have someone that wants to just like do like a sensual massage scene and that's what they want to do. I'm like, that is more ideal and in line with this party than you treating this girl like a pinata. Right, right. And folks couldn't understand. I'm like, is there a Hitachi involved? I I just need to know what's what's the next step. But it was it was a very slippery slope because I was accused of saying that that sex was one way. And I'm like, no, it's lots of different ways. I just can't, I can't have this type of thing. It takes up too much room. Yeah. And that's what, and that is it. It's sex. It takes up too much room to be categorized into this is what, this is what we're going to regulate. And so for those of us that are on the, uh, especially in touch-based practices or or in any type of practice, and and touch will probably have to be eliminated because God forbid you Mm -hmm. should touch somebody when you're doing any type of therapy in the West. So, um, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm going down a a long lane, a long thorned lane, but at the end of the day, sex coaching is variant. It can look like a lot of different things. Um, sex therapy is, um, 
you know, that's also very different. And sex therapy is usually talk-based in the West. Uh, it's not talk-based outside. It's, it's, um, and we, we could talk about that too, but um, the I, somatic-based therapeutic approaches are not, you know, they involve contact with the body. And in the, here in America, I got to stop saying the West because the West mm-hmm. is a big demon to me, but America is the devil um, when it comes to healing and health <laughs> to me um, and to, in a lot of other ways too. But I'm here and I'm a veteran. So if anybody got some beef with me about it, go save your country and then come argue with me. Um, <laughs> but in this space in, in America, we're, the therapists are not allowed to touch their clients. And there's some very clear and distinct boundaries that are drawn um, due to ethical concerns and um, and safety and things like that. So, uh, so their practices usually talk-based um, therapy. And so oftentimes they will, I will partner with someone because there will be touch that is needed, but the therapist has to get them to a point where they're ready to receive touch in order to move. Now, the therapist can never disclose with their board of directors or their not board of directors with their board that they're working with me because that would be probably in violation also. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, there's psychiatrists and psychologists that focus on human sexuality and sex. And that also is, is very different. Um, and so there's this wide field of, um, of what, yeah. And then there's a sex worker who um, we identify as someone who is exchanging sexual services mm-hmm. for for money. But my my challenge um, is that we actually, uh, you know, how I view it personally, and I know this rubs both sides very wrong, um, is that we actually look at us all as one collective because we should be allied together. And we are all offering a sexual service. If I'm offering you sexual counseling as a therapist, that's still a sexual service. I'm still helping you to move into a space that is sex. And I think there's so much shame and stigma around sex work that they can't necessarily say that and feel good about it. And that's something that I think we need to have some town hall meetings around. And then on the other side, there's a sex worker that's like, hey, you guys are gentrifying sex work. Don't take our name. This is who we are. Um, you guys didn't want nothing to do with us. You were over there acting like Sester and Foster wasn't going to bother you. And hello, now here you are. You can't advertise either. Don't come talk to us now. And and I think that we have to have a talk, town hall on that side. I was just in a group today and I was like, oh, oh, oh this is going to be some work. And it come together. Yeah. And it, and until then, and they, and you know, this is the, the, uh, you know, Willie Lynch, the infamous Willie Lynch, uh, idea, right? He's mm-hmm. divide and conquer. I'm going to yeah. tell y'all, y'all good. And I'm going to tell y'all y'all bad. And then ain't none of y'all getting shit. Yeah. So that's, that's where we're at now. Yeah. Um, it's a very fascinating thing as, as someone that, I mean, you dance this line of how vocal, can you be or should you be as a sex worker? And it wasn't really until for me personally, the last like during COVID that I was actually, I felt not, and not even necessarily safe enough. Just there was so much happening in the world. I was like, fuck it. I just need to go ahead and like, everyone knows everything else about me anyway. Here's just another thing. Cause I'm like, I, if, if I'm trying to fight all these different fights, I might as well be upfront about why 
why I'm fighting this fight. And it's not because right. it's not just because burlesque was also affected by Fosna Cessna. It's that it says I'm I'm that I am a sex worker. I worked really, really hard right before Fosna Cessna uh was passed. Um I was going to start my own uh pro dom situation. I was really excited about it and was mostly going to be I wanted to come from a place of folks that needed needed catharsis. I'm a heavy player. I really like to smack people around and hit people. And I, I love meditating through pain and mm. helping folks do that and find pleasure in being in their body and being present in their mm-hmm. body. Right. Love it. Um, I think there's something inherently beautiful about it. It also really turns me on beating people up that are, that could sit to it, but watching someone's body react to it and process it and watching the way that they breathe and their skin move and all of that, it's very connective and it feels really good. And the type of high that I get, especially when I know that they've had a good time, it's just over the moon. So it's a very beneficial situation all the way around. But I really wanted to provide this like catharsis through pain was going to be my thing. And Fosna Cessna hit and everything I had in place to do that because I was going to go full time, the whole shebang, it all fell apart. And so I left yeah. a left a very uh, very very stable, very secure job to to go after this. And I um, folks ask me like, well, what did your husband have to say about that? My husband was just like, do you? Mm-hmm. Like he was there for it. Um, but it just it it all everything. By the time I felt strong enough and brave enough to make that move, Boston Cessna hit. And so um, the work that I have done has mostly been with. Um, queer identified folks. Um, specifically, I tend to end up having clients that are non-binary and that were assigned female at birth that want to do a heavy body, um, you know, body BDSM scene. That's you know where catharsis is the is the goal and. They want that done with someone that is also non-binary who was assigned birth at femme, you know, or assigned, assigned femme at birth or assigned female at birth. And that's what they want. And mm-hmm. it's been um, a very interesting ride to be able to um, help folks connect with their bodies and regain something. Because it seems like most of my clients, it's been, they were really into BDSM, something happened and it removed them from that. It removed them from wanting to do that or have that journey. And so being able to be like, I want to work with you because I've heard good things about you. Please and thank you um, has been beautiful. And so I, that's been nice. But then, you know, working on this, this podcast, um, I've been very clear with folks. I don't have, I don't have a license. I don't have a degree in anything that's not, that wasn't my journey. My journey through this and the what I have to offer folks comes from my lived experience. It comes from talking with lots of folks. When I first joined the uh, sex positive scene, I I volunteered a crap ton, and my focus was my focus was um, specifically talking to folks, new folks. What brought you here? What brought you here? And you know, after you talk to you know three, four or 500 plus people and you ask them the same question, you, you start to kind of pick up stuff 
And so that yeah. is where my my education comes from is is extremely hands-on. I bottomed to a lot of people trying to figure out, well, how does this feel? And why does it feel like that? And why do people do this this way? And what happens if you do it this way? And so all those roads led to, you know, bottoming and being submissive and doing these things led to, well, I'm I'm a sadomasochist, but I am very dominant. I think there's something to be said about um, on the job training. If right. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, my, my, my bachelor's degree is in sociology. And one of the things that I remember learning really early in college was this concept of the liberal arts and science bachelors or the doctor of liberal arts and science and learning about like how this, like how the history of, of education as we know it, formal education as we know it had, has evolved. And, and I still, I still sit with whether that's been completely harmful or just a little bit harmful, but there's definitely a lot of harm that's been caused there because it licenses people um, in spaces where there needs to be practice to, to hold license um, to be, you know, to, and, and not license in the way that like we think of regulation, but just like, um, you know, like license in the way like the BC boys license to kill mm-hmm. um, or license to ill. I mean, sorry. Yeah. Um, but like, there's not a real license to ill, but they, they had enough street cred where they were licensed to ill out now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that, like for me, I, my bachelor's, I was on a whole different path in school. You know, I had my whole different mindset and what I was going to be doing. And I was in the Army Reserves and looking for like where I was going to be moving my path. And I started working for uh, the sex, uh, um, the father of, of sex surrogacy at the time. I don't think he was mm-hmm. considered that then. But um, and and so I got, you know, I started learning a little bit. Like, first of all, here's an eye opener. This is a part of the world. This is something that happens. Now, do I know as much as uh, about um, therapeutic practices as they are, as they have been laid out under, you know, for folks that have a master's in family therapy. No, no, I haven't, I haven't gone through to pay that kind of money to get a master's in family therapy, largely because I don't want to be regulated. Um, sometimes I think about doing it, getting the degree just so I can say, well, I did the school and does that make you happy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but not to join any of the formal organizations around it. I think that there is something to be said about practice and um I'm, you know, I'm the child of a black revolutionary. My mother is hotep as fuck and pro, mm-hmm. very pro-black, problematic in ways, but a said I be that planted a seed in me and that I question this whole system. And I think there's so many, uh, especially for us black people, so many of us are like that are in the college track or like, no, there was never a point where we were allowed to question the system. We all were like, no, this is the tract. I want to become a psychiatrist or I want to become a therapist. I want to become a, this, I must follow these steps. So when they meet someone like me who did not follow these steps, I was a sex worker. And then when I finished working in sex surrogacy, I, you know, went back to, I went to corporate and I learned corporate and then I got married and I got divorced and I went back to sex work and I started doing this and I did this and I worked as an escort. I worked, I've done all the fields of sex work all while maintaining, um, continuing education at Northwestern University and their MOOC program um, through Coursera, finishing school, um, 
at the University of Illinois, taking classes at this school and at that school, um, studying under people who have far more advanced degrees, but not following a formalized education track Mm -hmm. and moving into a space where I study sexuality, study sexuality voraciously, Um, have probably more books in my house that that are being read on a regular basis about uh, sexuality and somatic therapy, um, somatic coaching, sexual, uh, sexual somatic body work, um, sexology, um, from from the uh, from old um, you know the function of orgasm to to urban tantra and, and everything in between, and what does that mean for my education of a course of twenty years, which in which in the times of the development of the doctorate would be a doctorate, it would be a PhD. Mm-hmm. compared to someone who was going to school straight in a row for seven years and, and achieved the PhD um, and, and still has to then prove themselves through testing to say that they now are qualified to sit with someone yeah. according to the rules that were set forth. So I'm always, I'm always, and it's not to say that I, I trust me, I'm, I have some PhD programs that I'm deeply considering and I'm meeting with some counselors. Um, I really want to focus on theology though. And, and because I really, my approach is definitely from the spiritual. And so I look at, um, you know, um, the theologically how this work works. And I also do that for a very strict reason. Um, I do believe that, that sexuality as a spiritual practice, um, keeps it sacred and out of the laws of, man out of the laws out of the hands of the of the lawmakers so i teach my own program where i train sex coaches it's unregulated and so therefore the class is you know can be challenged by upcoming future laws that we anticipate but perhaps by then they'll have a way in which like when massage happened, we got grandfathered in for folks mm-hmm. that are in the practice. But I looked at some of these other sex coaching practices and I'm not, listen, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not going to throw too much shade. Yes, I think mine is superior. <laughs> um, but mine is a year long practice, a coaching practice with a lot of practice, with a, it's three parts. It has a lot of study, self-study, introspection, um, healing the self working on the self because I just don't see it. I don't see, you know, I I have a lot of friends that are therapists that I cannot refer my friends, I mean, my clients to because I don't see the work being done. And it's one, thing to, it's one <laughs> thing to go and study and I can go and study and get licensed. I can pass tests. You're good at standardized tests. You can go be a therapist, horrible with people, breaking down, not offering any help. I'm in a group of clinicians and therapists and sometimes the banter that they have and the way that they talk about their clients, not naming them Mm because that would be a violation, but just talk about their general annoyance of being a healer. Like it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, Like it's like, you know, you're watching the clock and you don't understand why this person called you and you wish you weren't at work. And it's just like, wow. Okay. But the coaches are going to be a problem. I don't, I don't see this as we have to come, we have to fix this. So, yeah. so I, th- I think keeping it in the sacred for me, um, you know, the Institute is a church. We're registered as a church because of the spiritual um, positioning of Tantra and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think for me, keeping my training program as a, um, as a spiritual training and staying out of the, 
um, out of the realm of, of certified coaches, but in, instead just staying in the world of spiritual sexual coaches is, is more important for me. But there are other programs that folks can involve themselves in and study. And there's some great, I'm not knocking the other programs, there's some great programs out there as well. Um, and there's just some great Tantra programs. I mean, the Institute, was it the Authentic Tantra Institute up in, up in, they're all in Canada, all the great programs. I don't think we have good programs in the U.S. And I hope that there is one that someone can point me in the direction because I do have students that often want to learn and I send them outside of America because everyone here is terrified or they're trying to get accredited. And if you're trying to get accredited, then you got to be on that bullshit. And I don't give a fuck about nobody's accreditation. So... (laughs) Well, yeah, it's, it's that idea of touching, right? Yeah. This mm-hmm. idea of the the healing power of touch, right? Yeah. And connection and and just how that is regulated. How that right. that's very fascinating and really and really fucked up. Um you talked about somatic therapy. Can you explain what that is for folks who just maybe their first time hearing about it? Yeah, absolutely. So soma is uh, the word, the root word from somatic, and soma simply means body. So when we talk about somatic therapy, we're talking about embodiment work. Um, there's no real distinction between the two. Um, there are some different branches that they can go off in, but really we're looking at bringing the individual back into the body. And what that, what, what the need for that stems from is this reality of being, um, our adrenals are being taxed in this world. And I don't mean this in like, just like the sexual way. I mean, like I hate driving, for example, and perhaps you or somebody listening hates driving, it's general anxiety on the road um, or know someone that does. And um, I, I can drive just fine. It's just something I don't like. I don't have anxiety attacks, but I can feel a sense of anxiety because I'm, I do a lot of embodiment work. So I think I'm a, very much more in touch with the emotional expression of my body. There's something about being in a bullet, inside of a bullet going 75 miles an hour down the, um, you know, the 285 and having semi-truck bullets flying past you and other bullets swirling in front of you, losing control on their phone, that if you are not in a state of some bit of anxiety, something you may be a sociopath um, because they're... <laughs> Because the mind has to process all of this while we're driving. The mind is in hyperactive overload and you have the, you are taxing your adrenal system. The adrenaline is like, okay, any minute now we could die subconsciously. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously I hope this is not the front of your mind when you drive, but subconsciously this is what happens. And so your shoulders are closer, your grip gets tighter and certain and it starts raining and now, you know, everything's changing. This is our state of existence. People are on the road four or five hours a day, everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's normal, normal behavior. Then I get to the grocery store and especially now in this pandemic, I got to make sure I have on a mask. That person doesn't have on a mask. They're going to kill me. This, This is what we're doing all day long. We are outside of our body because the body's like, fuck that. If we actually... Um, consciously process everything that's happening, we will die. 
yeah. you will be in a state of anxiety that is that will require hospitalization. You will <laughs> collapse. You will collapse because the body's like, fuck that. This is fucked up. Let's get out of here. So, um, and so we exist oftentimes outside of our body because of it, because it doesn't feel safe to be in it. It doesn't feel safe to acknowledge the emotions and the sensations and the, the experience that we're having in here. And so somatic therapy is about bringing the body back into the body, bringing the, the individual back into the body. Because that, that, like, imagine thinking all that, and now you want you want to fuck, you want to have sex. I, I don't, I don't want to have sex. I'm, the adrenaline is still here. Or sure, I'll have sex, but this doesn't feel good at all. And I really hope you hurry up and come. Or sure, I'll have sex, but I'm gonna hurry up and come because this doesn't feel good at all. So I'm just gonna try and get to this real important fun function, which is in 30 seconds, this is going to be over. Don't worry. It yeah. won't hurt that much. And so this is what, this is what we've resorted to. And so it shows up when we lose our desire, we lose our sexual function. We lose our ability to connect. We lose our ability to trust others. We lose our ability to love. Yeah. And so somatic therapy, sexual somatic therapies and specific is about bringing the body back in to, to reestablish that connection so that we can actually experience all those things fully and have a more realized human experience, which also includes sex. Yeah. That's amazing. I, um, it's interesting watching, like listening to folks talk about, um, like desire and not having desire at the beginning of the pandemic, my sexual desire went from like, I need it all the time to like, why are you even looking at me? Like, just don't. And, um, and one of my partners, it, it did, it, it changed. It went higher than normal. And mm -hmm. I just remember just being like, how can I just be like, so stressed? I can't even see straight, but you're stressed. And like, and your, your drive is just over the top. And it's, it's like and, a stress eater. Yeah. You know, some, some people get stressed and they lose 45 pounds. I get stressed, I gain a hundred. Like, yeah. It's really interesting. And so being able to like figure out where that was coming from and like, it's like, I know that it's because things, I'm very sensitive to what's happening with me, but what's happening with everyone else. And so it's like, I'm worried about myself. I'm worried about everyone else. The world's literally on fire. I can't think about anything. I don't know what's going on. And my body's just like, you are not going to get wet. So I don't even know why we're even trying this. Just mm. go read a book and go night, night. Okay. <laughs> you know? And so it was, I had to really start doing some of that work of like, you need to be more mindful. You need to be more in your body. Maybe, you know, if it, if you really think that you really want to have sex, these are things that you know you need to do in order to relax and de-stress so that you can even think about it. Mm -hmm. So do these things. Um, and it's, it's really helped, but it's just the idea of like our, we're in a hyper state of agitation just by the way the world works in general. And then to think, well, that doesn't affect us in the way that we the way that we relate to ourselves and relate to other people and to other situations is very foolish. Yeah, it is very foolish, but we do it all the time, all the time. This hypo and, and hyper empathy, um, you know, somatics is in the middle. 
So mm. I, I don't feel anything or I feel a, a extreme connection to everything. Um, somatics in, in the body, we feel, we feel as we are intended to feel. And it's really important that, that we understand coming back into the body means not consuming certain things all the time because mm-hmm. that's outside of the body. Um, it means really attaching to your, identifying and attaching to your desire, your true desire. Like, what does that look like? And that that is a practice that, that keeps me busy, um, thankfully, because we are, we are disconnected. And so I'm able to pull in elements from... Um, from somatic coaching, from somatic sexology, from Tantra, from Vajrayana Tantra Buddhism, from Neo-Tantra, and from my own personal um, interaction with my ancestors and um, and my spiritual practices to create a, um, a coaching system that, that works for a great number of people. I love that. How is it having a business that is touch-based in COVID? How has that been? It's not. Uh, <laughs> Great. It, uh, yeah, I, I stopped touching in um, in in February, uh, so I have not, outside of like my lovers, touched mm-hmm. um, touched in a healing capacity. Um, I had one session for someone who was in an tr- immediate acute trauma mm-hmm. um, that I went and and offered touch, um, you know, masked protection mm-hmm. as much as we could um uh, several months ago that must have been in like may it seems mm-hmm. like a year ago right um and that that was it so outside of um you know if i have a, a therapist that calls and said someone just experienced sexual trauma i'll show up for that because then that's essential care and mm-hmm. that's different but um but everything else i do right now is all my coaching has been limited to online um and, you know, there was a whole shift that had to happen. I had to start, my classes had to shift to online because I had weekly workshops. My um, my larger events had to shift online. And I, we just had a our sip and touch, which is our massage orgy, mm-hmm. which was really interesting because we had to do it online and like, you know, mm-hmm. um, Actually, it was fun, though, and it was we had a great experience, but everything is online, everything. I'm teaching couples how to have sex online. Um, I'm watching them online. I'm doing things that, that are way out the box. I had to think way out the box. How do I establish connection with my clients in such an intimate setting that still shows that I'm listening to them, I care, and can provide some, some help and healing. Um, and I... Uh, I I'm at the point almost where um, I think I'm ready to start seeing folks here in Hawaii. Our infection rate is extremely low. Yeah, our our we've been extremely safe, and so I think um, some of the some of the touch based meditation practices that I offer, I think I may start connecting with folks. Masks still require mm-hmm. masks from them. Um, preference one people who have been tested for COVID in less than two hours, but. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm opening up a little bit. I have an outdoor healing space that will allow us to be able to be distanced. And sometimes it's just more helpful to be in the presence of folks. Um, and uh, I, I haven't yet, though. I'm, I'm still contemplating. I have to travel. So it won't be that won't be until February if I do. Yeah. And then, you know, I had some filming we were supposed to shoot for a Netflix show and that got postponed because California is locked down. So everything is just you know, it's just all online or not happening at all. Um, and I'm totally okay with that because I am, um, 
my spirituality is rooted in um, recognition of the earth is God and of, of the energy of orgasm is God. And so I listen to that. And if the earth is telling me to slow down, then I am at her altar and worshiping and honoring that opportunity to slow down. And so here I am slow. Yep. That's, I mean, honestly, that's all that I think that's all that we really can do is like, this is, it's such an, it's an unfortunate situation in terms of how this all came to be. But I, I'm a person that I'm definitely a glasses um, half full kind of person. And this Mm -hmm. has really given me an opportunity to really sit and think about who I am as a person and do the work. Um, doing a lot of trauma-based work, right? And mm-hmm. really figuring out what's going to make me happiest. What is going to make me happiest and not only make me happy, but feel whole and that I am able to give in the way that I like to give to people, but not lose myself. Um, right. And I think that's, that's that's, I mean, I think that I know a lot of people who've been doing doing a lot of self work during this time, and I think it's really beautiful. Um, I really appreciate. Yes, she's here. I really appreciate you um, speaking, coming in, and doing this today. I I feel like we're gonna have to do like a part two and a part three down the road. I'm um, here for it because this stuff is so good. Um, we're gonna make sure that. Um, all of Amina's information, where you can find her and learn more about. Um, classes that she's offering all that kind of fun stuff will be included um in the notes on our uh, instagram page but also our patreon want to give a special shout out to our patron vip anna armstrong thank you so much for uh loving on this podcast and uh definitely check us out where you um listen to your other podcasts we were on itunes spotify stitcher dot 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 all of them and uh, of course with the way that instagram has been treating um sex workers and sex adjacent work um we will be on twitter soon probably by the time this podcast hits we will have a twitter account um and we will probably be giving uh instagram a giant middle finger at some point so thank you so much for being here thank you for having me all right everybody have a good night